find out why, reached out to Dr. Thomas Arnold, assistant professor at the Philosophical Seminary of the University of Heidelberg. If reason is a habit, we can train it, Dr. Arnold suggests, and his project explores ways of achieving this. For many, being reasonable or having a critical mind is considered a static virtue. You either have it or not. Thinking of reason, however, as a dynamic process and of being reasonable as a habitual choice one can make every single day, we are then faced with a whole new perspective. Stay tuned, because Dr. Arnold explains all about it in this interview for Find Out Why. asking Dr. Arnold what inspired him for that project. What I'm trying to do here is trying to establish a form of public philosophy, by which I mean training as many people as possible in basic critical thinking. I just think it's very, very important to provide like very basic instruments to people uh, which they can use to analyze their own behavior, analyze other people's behavior, in terms of how rational things actually are that are being said. The basic idea is that you can train to be rational, or you can even train to be reasonable. I hear that being thrown around, that people aren't rational, it's, it's just the way it is, people aren't reasonable. Being reasonable is something that you can do. It's, it's not something that you are. You are not just reasonable or not, but it's something you perform. What does being reasonable mean? Being reasonable means reacting to reasons having a position, defending it, revising it when you're faced with evidence and um, not identifying your person with the position or the other person with the position. How will training help in that direction? Everyone is aware of at least two problems and discussions. The first being people are not providing reasons. So if, you, if someone says something and you say, well, that sounds interesting, but why should I believe that? And they don't offer any evidence you literally do not have any reason to believe it. And so that, um, that issue, whether a position is being justified or not, that's one major difference that you can make people notice. And they feel it anyway, but that they're not consciously aware of the difference between, ah, someone is providing reasons, someone is listening to me, someone is answering me, or someone is just repeating the same claim. And um, you have that with the anti-vaxxers, for example. If you say, why do you think vaccinations cause autism? They quote this one article. And then you say, no, that's been retracted, debunked. And there have been so many other studies. And it's been shown to be fraudulent. But they keep on saying, no, but it's still true. It's still true. It's still true. And then at some point, you can just say, well, I've given my reasons. I've criticized yours. I've given you my evidence. You haven't given me anything. So why should I believe you? And more importantly, why should you believe what you're saying if you don't have any evidence? So that's, that's one thing, justification. And the other thing is um, contradiction. That's a basic logical error. Um, so unjustified contradictory beliefs are a problem. There's a kind of, well, let's call it logical empowerment in that you just need to 
basically speak the language to see whether someone provides reasons. You don't have to know the subject. I mean, I'm, I'm not um, a viro- virologist. I, I, I'm not a trained doctor. I'm not a medical person. But I can see the difference between someone who offers reasons for what they're saying in terms of lethality of the virus, fatality of the virus, um, spread of the virus. I can see, all right, they're offering reasons or they're being cautious or they're just shouting. I, I can see that no matter whether I'm trained in the matter. Everyone can do that. They can say, why should I believe that? Have I been given reasons? Have I provided reasons for you? And they all can ask, is it contradictory? Wait, am I contradicting myself? Are you contradicting yourself? For example, the people who claim that we're all living in a totalitarian regime and all being silenced while not being silenced. So it's, it's very funny if you have people saying, uh, our opinions being silenced while writing this on the internet without any repercussions or anything. So that's a, that's a performative contradiction. If people did that and started to fact check and to logic check um, their candidates, politics would look so different from the way it looks now. The question is not whether anyone claims to have the truth. The more interesting question is, how do they prove that? How do they justify the claims? Because whether someone someone has hit upon the truth can only be shown through certain methods. That's why we have science, because science is trying, you know, science is basically just providing evidence or falsifying other theories. So that's, that's why science is so great, because it's an evidence machine. So that's why we turn to science. So if you, want to, if you want to know, does the vaccine work? Well, either you can you know, ask your astrologer, but you could also use the most modern methods that we have and the most tested methods. Doesn't necessarily mean that they, that they get you the truth. But even if they're wrong, they're wrong better than other methods because um, they tried their best. We tried our best and we, we had the best means of justification. Still might turn out to be wrong. I mean, we're all, uh, uh, we can all be wrong. Okay, but what about the notion of confirmation bias? Well, con- confirmation bias is, is a psychological um, phenomenon. What I'm dealing with is logic, and that is well complemented by psychology, of course, um, but it's not quite the same. So um, in confirmation bias, what we do is we pick out information that kind of suit us. And... Um, That tends to be something we just do. Even well-trained academics and logicians tend to do that. What we can do, logically speaking, or to be more reasonable, is check our results. Assuming that uh, we all fall prey to the confirmation bias to some degree, we just have to look back and see, well, did I actually use all available information? Did I think critically about my own assumptions? Did I do that? And um, I think once we get into the habit of doing that, we might reduce the confirmation bias a little bit. But what also helps um, in reducing confirmation bias is to be open about criticism. The best way of action would be to say, since I myself can't be fully trusted in this, I'd better be open to criticism from the outside, which is, again, easier if you differentiate between your person and your position. So if you treat your idea as a project that you can share and say, well, here's um, here are my reasons, here's my evidence, and then other people come and say, well, but what about this piece of evidence? What about this idea? 
And then you can say, well, yeah, I might have missed that due to confirmation bias, for example. So I think the intersubjectivity might help a little bit, including not just dealing with people who think exactly the same way as you. In social media, though, people tend to form groups or communities with like-minded individuals. What happens then? I mean, that's a tricky question um, because, of course, social algorithms or social media algorithms tend to group us together <laughs> with people who validate us because that keeps us online online for longer. So um, that is a very real problem. Try to hang out with friends even online, who are quite argumentative, I would say. So if you notice that people are just simply agreeing, why not just play the devil's advocate for once and just say, why though? It, I mean, it's, it's very hard to escape that, I think. But um, again, discussions can be fun and um, can be interesting and actually can lead to deeper, for example, friendships, or you can get to know people better if you if you even if you fight a little bit with them. So um, if you find yourself in an environment where everyone agrees, you can be the person to throw a spanner in the works once uh, or twice. Just see what happens. Do you have to be emotionally resilient, self-aware, and at the same time self-confident to do that? I mean, that's that would be good, but it's certainly not true of most people I would consider mostly rational. I mean, they're, they're still very normal human beings. And... Um, I think the, the, well, first of all, the internet is not the best place to practice rationality and the vis-a-vis situation um, seems to make a difference. So that's that's the first thing I want to say, that um, being rational on the internet is quite hard. The important thing is not to avoid becoming emotional. I mean, that's that's good if you can do that. Again, as I said, if you can completely disidentify your position from your person, you can just debate it very um safely i mean if you're discussing very fundamental things like religion or so or politics um there's bound to be some emotion but i think the the trick is to then kind of cut in a brief pause a brief moment of reflection thinking back to okay i'm becoming emotional is it still reasonable what i'm saying is it still justified is it is it still clear i mean sometimes uh, arguments erupt because people don't clarify what they're talking about Is it easier to train youth than adults? That's a good question. Um, at some point, most of us seem to become entrenched in a certain way of thinking, which is not very reflexive or reflective. And, and I'll, I'll try to explain that um, with an example. So we're taught to solve problems. So if you're faced with a problem, what you're being told to do is solve it. You accept the premises, you look at the resources you're being given, and then you solve the problem. Great. Problem solvers are always great. Always look for solutions. That's, that's even a mantra, right? But you could also look at the problem itself. Is it even a problem? Which premises uh, need to be assumed for it to be a problem? So you can dissolve a problem rather than solve it. And I think that's a very, very important difference. When you try to solve a problem, it's very straightforward thinking. It's from problem to solution. But the reflexive way of thinking, the kind of turning back deflector, the Latin turning back, is, hmm, what about the problem itself? Should it be a problem? Should it be it solved? That kind of critical and reflexive thinking is not necessarily what we're being trained to do. Parts of the economy 
I've started to understand that, that kind of straightforward problem-solving thing might not be that attractive anymore. Having said this, um, my experience is that uh, this kind of critical, reflective, logical thinking is something that comes to, I'd say, a third of all people I have in a group, no matter their age. But in adults, I think um, getting out the old thinking and getting in the new is more difficult. Technology and what we experience digitally today trace their origin back to the mathematical concept of logic. How philosophy is different from, I don't know, binary logic, for example? Well, it's funnily enough, I, I am currently teaching the introduction to formal logic um, here in Heidelberg. So I'm, I'm, I'm steeped in mathematical logic at the moment. Um, and the question is very important because philosophy is not the same as logic, of course. Um, we use logic uh, within philosophy, and there is a philosophy of logic as well, of course, because, uh, and that's, I think, important to understand, if, if philosophy is some kind of reflection, some, some kind of critically questioning your assumptions, Um, not just the reasons, but also the concept you're using. And I think that's broadly what philosophy does. Then there is a philosophy of almost everything. There's a philosophy of mathematics, there's a philosophy of chemistry. And what's important to understand, I think, in mathematical logic is that it's, it's just a set of rules that we build up. And you can, you can change the rules. I mean, there are many-valued logics. They're non-standard. They're non-classical logic. Um, it's just that we're being taught, or sometimes some people are being taught, this is logic. But logic is just, just the study of certain structures. And there's no, I mean, there's debates about whether there's a fundamental logic, but you can develop any logic you want. So the binary logic is, is of course, important because computers work. Um, with Boolean algebra. But there's no real necessity to just stick with two truth values, for example. And again, that's, uh, that's something you're given, but you don't have to stick with it. Um, I mean, you can even develop paraconsistent logics, which uh, allow for contradictions to be true for example, without exploding the whole system. So you can, you can play with that as well. And I, I, I think that is, you can reflect on that as well. You can reflect on your assumptions and logic as well and just not stick with them. Now that we're on that, I, I once found myself in a lecture where training computer scientists were asked by their instructor one problem-oriented question um, with ethical considerations. And I was amazed to see that most of them traced back the answer to statistics or um, numbers and to build their argument. And I was wondering, uh, what does it mean for the rest of us, this way of thinking uh, by the people who are uh, meant to design our digital experience, how that affects the rest of us? And the question was, what if we have a self-driving car and a normal car with driver and, you know, the, there's an accident uh, where one person dies, the self-driving car and, uh, I don't know, three people die with the normal car? Um, well, what is at stake here is 
human lives. Um, so it's automatically an ethical issue. But what is interesting to me is to see what kind of ethical framework is simply accepted or assumed to be true or correct uh, in these discussions. So um, say you're in utilitarian, for example. If you don't reflect on the fact that utilitarianism is not the only option in ethics, you're being dogmatic. And I think that's the problem, that not enough people are thinking about how they frame their ethical problems. So you might acknowledge, yes, that's an ethical problem, but you might not acknowledge that there's very, very, very different ways of thinking about ethical problems. So as again, as in logic, you can say that's a logical problem and be done with it and simply, for example, accept that uh, normal propositional logic is the only logic there is. Then your logical problem is automatically a problem of propositional logic, which is not necessarily so. And I think the same goes in ethics. I mean, you can always look at numbers. You can say, well, there's one life or two lives because I'm a utilitarian and I like numbers. I'll go for the one life option. Well, that's one way of thinking. And that's that's fair. I mean, we can debate whether that's good or not, but um, it's just one way of thinking. You could also question that assumption and you could have a consequentialist framework or a Aristotelian framework or whatever. You can you can hate humans and go for the two lives option. I mean, that's that's also an ethical stance. Um, but, I mean, it's it's not very nice, but it's an ethical position. So yeah, I think that's 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 more of a problem. That um, there's not enough reflection about how we think about ethical problems and uh, the kind of the frameworks that we use to discuss ethical problems. And of course, um, if you're faced with a question, should we kill one person or two people? Uh, well, you could also say something went very wrong because that scenario exists. So again, that, that would be um, like dissolving a problem. Well, you could just solve the problem by saying, well, I, I'd rather not kill anyone. And something went terribly wrong that made us face that decision. So again, uh, thinking in problem-solving categories might lead us to lose the bigger picture that that shouldn't happen in the first place. So you can say, if it happens, then we need to discuss it. But it's much more important to stop it from happening. So again, it's, it's more about the shifting and, and um, which perspectives we um, simply accept or um, simply uh, take on. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Arnold, for this amazing, informative discussion and for sharing those tools and ideas with our audience. Again, I thank you very much for having me. This was Dr. Thomas Arnold and I'm Elena Giolla for Find Out Why.